Father God, um, thank you for your glorious gospel, the good news of Jesus. Thank you that uh, if your word explains who you are and uh, all that you've done for us in Christ, and we just pray that today, as we right now, as we hear your word uh, read and preached, that you would soften our hearts uh, to hear deeply what it is that you have for us. Please um, uh, help us to bring us understanding by your spirit of what is uh, read and preached today, and please transform our lives for your glory through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Um, well, uh, nobody likes to look like a fool, do they? No one really likes to look like a fool. I was trying to think about times when I really felt, you know that feeling when you kind of get caught out and you just feel like a total fool? A few too many to mention, uh, but I, one, one I did want to share with you, it's a story of uh, my friend's jacket, okay? Uh, my friend, this was when I was in primary school, my friend lef left his jacket at my place, he was over, but the thing about this jacket was it was a really special jacket, it was a leather jacket, and it was the 80s, so it was really rad, uh, and anyway, he'd, he'd, he'd been over at my place, he'd left his jacket there, and I, we'd arranged for me to bring it to school on the bus. So next day I got up and brought the jacket with me, got onto the bus and went to school. We get to lunchtime and my mate asks, so where's my jacket? I, I, I need my, my rad jacket. Um, and uh, so I, I, I kind of pause for a moment and think, oh, okay, um, now I'm pretty sure I put it on your bag when I got here. Okay, so we go and see his bag. Uh, and where it should be, I'm pretty sure I placed it there, and there was nothing there, it was missing. Anyway, this soon snowballed um, so that it became like this big manhunt in the school searching for the, the missing jacket. Uh, there were interviews held, interrogations conducted, 
The case of the stolen jacket became the school controversy for a few days. Reenactments were done. I showed the teachers exactly where I'd put the jacket. And the more it went on, the surer I got. Yes, I had placed the jacket there on my friend's bag, and the only explanation was that someone had come and nicked it. Anyway, this went on for a while. A couple of days later, uh, I had this awkward interaction with a teacher who took me aside and said, um, Duncan, we've, we've just received a phone call from the bus company, uh, wondering whether anyone had left a jacket on the school bus a few days ago. And I, re I remember this. I just remember wanting the ground to swallow me up. Like, I just felt like such a fool. I'd led everyone on this wild goose chase. Uh, I think that people had been put under suspicion because of this, you know, the, the normal... <laughs> I just felt like such a fool. Maybe... Uh, do you know that kind of feeling? Maybe... Uh, I reckon most of us do at some point. That feeling of being ridiculed, looked at, laughed at. Maybe you know that feeling connected to being a Christian. Maybe that's a, 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 an experience that you can connect with. Um, seen as a bit of a fool for following Jesus. Seen as a bit of a fool because you followed Jesus. Uh, if you felt that, it might be encouraging to know it's no new thing. Uh, it's not a new thing. Um, up on the screen, you can see a piece of ancient graffiti. This is actually probably the first um, uh, uh, depiction of Jesus on the cross that we have, like the earliest um, uh, artistic depiction. It's a piece of ancient graffiti. It was on a, a guardhouse wall in Rome. Uh, it dates from about the 2nd or 3rd century, and it, um, it's, it comes from a time when Christians were being imprisoned in and executed in large numbers. Um, and it's probably done by one of these Roman guards mocking the people that were imprisoned, mocking particularly this guy, Alexamenos. So you can see there, it's a picture of a... Um, on the left is the scribbled graffiti, on the right is the drawing of it, that you can make it clear. Um, it's a picture, picture of, with a man on a cross with a donkey's head and another man next to, next to him with his hand raised. It's his hand raised in worship. And scribbled, there's the scribbled writing underneath it says in Greek, Alexamenos worships his god. Alexamenos, and, and actually you can probably feel the scorn dripping off it, right? Alexamenos worships his god. Now, you can picture the scene, this Roman guard, maybe he catches Alexamenos praying in his cell and he just tears strips off him, lays into him, you Christians are such fools to worship a crucified Messiah. Um, crucifixion was horrible. It was a horrible and shameful way to die. Uh, we wear crosses around our necks, right? Um, which can kind of make us a, a little bit um, dull to just how shocking and horrible crucifixion was. It might be a little bit like wearing, you know, wearing a miniature um, electric chair or hangman's noose or guillotine around your neck. Except crucifixions were even worse than any of those. They were this public spectacle that went on for hours and hours designed to humiliate the people being put through it and put them through extreme pain in the process. And the thought that a great leader, a great messiah, a great king would be crucified was utterly contemptible. Utterly contemptible. And even more, the thought that anyone would follow that guy would follow someone who'd been crucified, would worship them, 
That's just insane. You'd have to be a total fool. So, here's our Roman guard roasting poor Alexaminus, laughing at him, humiliating him for such a ridiculous thing as worshipping a crucified God. Well, Steve mentioned before, if you're visiting with us, we're in this series in 1 Corinthians, the first four chapters. And Paul's writing to this church that is going off the rails. Uh, It's a church that's dealing with real divisions and factions and fighting and selfishness within the church community. Uh, We saw right at the start of the series, Paul starts by reminding them who they are. They are God's saints. They're set apart for him. They're they're his called ones in Christ. Uh, And last week we looked at the passage just before this where Paul, he lays down this theological foundation that's going to be the basis for how this church needs to address these issues. And it's all, if you remember, it's all about, it's all about the cross. It's all about the cross. And the really surprising thing in 1 Corinthians, the really surprising thing is Paul seems, Paul seems to embrace this idea of foolishness. He doesn't kind of back away from it. It's like he, he leans into it. Uh, he would have looked at this graffiti and said, yep, that's exactly right. That's exactly how the cross looks in the eyes of the world. And basically, what he's going to go on and say in this passage that Chris just read out for us, what he's going to go on to say is, if that's true of the cross, if that's true of Jesus, it's also true of the people who believe in the cross. And what's more, it's true of the people who speak about the cross. So you can see in your outline there, there's two main points from this. Uh, He tells them about a foolish people and a foolish preacher. So Paul Paul turns to these Corinthians and says something that really would have shocked them. Uh, Remember the culture of Corinth. One of the big issues in Corinthians is they're being more shaped by their culture than by Christ. And that's what Paul's trying to um, address here. Remember, the culture in Corinth was one where influence and nobility and impressive wisdom was really prized and was looked for. And what does Paul say? Uh, Verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. See what he's saying there? On the whole, this church was a bunch of nobodies. God didn't call them to himself because they were the impressive ones, the wise ones, the influential ones. Uh, I reckon if we were God, we'd probably think something like, okay, I've got to get the Insta influencers on my side. I've got to get the best and brightest. We, it'd be really good, it'd, be really, it'd really help me out, this is what I'd think if I was God, it'd really help me out to have some big names on my side. Uh, that'll really help my cause. So I'll go for a couple of Olympic gold medalists, maybe some famous musicians and actors. Uh, I'll need to take over the primetime network, so a few media moguls should help. Um, I'll need the halls of power too, so I'll get some politicians on my side. And I'll need the best, most sophisticated, most dynamic speakers if this message is going to get off the ground at all. So let's have a look at the the TED Talks for the last few years and see which of them has the most views, and we'll get those guys. 
You get the picture there, but belonging to God's people, it doesn't work like that. Belonging to God's people doesn't work. He doesn't call people because of some impressive quality within them. Within them, He doesn't call people because they deserve it, because they've earned it. And you see what Paul says here? He says, if you want proof of this, if you want proof of this, take a look around. Take a look around you. Think of what you all were when you were called, when God called you. Look around you. Um, do we have any Olympic gold medalists here? Maybe, there, maybe we might. I don't know. Uh, no, 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 anyone with a song in the top 10 RA charts at the moment? Uh, anyone who starred in a Marvel movie with us this morning? No takers? Uh, anyone, anyone who owns a national media corporation? Um, it seems like there, it actually seems like there were some in the church in Corinth who were these influential ones, the, these ones who would have been seen as wise in the world's eyes. Paul doesn't exclude them from belonging to God's people. That's why he says, there, uh, not many of you. He doesn't say not any of you. He says, not many. There were some, but not many. And, uh, but Paul's point is, all of those things, all of the things that we're so impressed by about extraordinary people, all of those things are totally irrelevant when it, beco- when it comes to belonging in God's church. In fact, it's not just that they're irrelevant. Actually, the pattern is actually the reverse. On the whole, God calls people who are the ordinary people, everyday people, the nobodies. Why does he do this? Why does he do it? Well, Paul goes on to say he does it to wipe out human pride. Verse 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Our pride, our boasting in ourselves is just so destructive, isn't it? Um, it cuts us off from God. Uh, a proud person is always looking, this is a, C.S. Lewis says this, uh, uh, is always looking down, and the person who's always looking down has no room to look up to God. It cuts us off from God, and it damages our relationships with each other. And Paul says it has no place in this gathering of those that God has chosen. No place at all. No one can boast before him. But Paul, what he does is, when he goes on, he he goes on and shows a really beautiful alternative. Not boasting in ourselves, but boasting in him. Verse 30, it is because of him. It's because of God. In other words, it's not because of yourselves. (laughs) It's because of God that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Friends, do you see what Paul's saying here? If you are in Christ, you already have it all. If you are in Christ, 
you already have righteousness. You've been set right with God. You already have holiness. You've been set apart for God. You already have redemption. You've been set free by God. We have it all, and we have it all freely as a gift. So you don't need to puff yourself up, because in Christ you've already been filled up with him. So Paul says we don't boast before him, we can boast in him. We don't boast before him. We can boast in him. We exalt in his free gift in Christ. Well, if this church in Corinth was shaped by this foolish message of the cross, what Paul goes on to say is that he was, he was shaped by it as well. He himself was shaped by it. So um, when travelling speakers came to Corinth, their entrance was really important. Their, their kind of first, um, with the, the first impression they made, it was really important. They set the whole tone for their visit. They had to make a good impression with their entrance. But what does Paul say? Chapter 2, verse 1. And so it was, if this is true of you, so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. So the, the Corinthian culture was all about proclaiming yourself. Proclaiming yourself. Curating your image so that you can impress the people around you. Uh, 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 that rings bells for me. It's, it's so similar to our, our own culture in our own kind of way. This is what you know, social media does for us. It's so similar to us. The Corinthian culture was all about presenting yourself, but Paul doesn't want to present himself. He wants to present Christ. Paul doesn't present himself. He presents Christ. Verse 2, For I resolved... He, he decided... He made a resolution to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He wants to present Christ to these people and him crucified. Not himself. And there's a, there's a reason for that. Uh, Paul knows that real gospel change, real deep transformation in someone's life, that it's not something that any human being can bring about, can achieve. Uh, we, we can't manufacture it. <laughs> we can't manipulate people into it. It's not as if, you know, if we could just find the right formula. Enough spectacular miracles. That's what the Jews were looking for. If you remember from last week, verse 22, Jews uh, demand signs. Uh, it's not as if we could just have the most impressive, sophisticated ideas and speakers. That's what the Greeks were looking for. Greeks look for wisdom. Or maybe for us, what, what is it? Or what could it be? If, if, only we, if only we had the best music, the slickest production, the most emotionally charged experience, maybe. What else could it be? If I, what is your, your, what's your if only this? Then, then the world would come and put their trust in Jesus. But if that were the case, if that were the case, it wouldn't be Jesus people were trusting in at all. It would be ourselves. It would be our power, our wisdom, our ability to change people. 
it's possible to, to bring about some kind of surface level change in people. To, you, you can kind of do that to, uh, on some level, but that's not the kind of change that God is interested in. Yeah, human, human wisdom can do amazing things, can't it? Uh, just, uh, it was just recently, um, I was just blown away by this. Uh, do, do you read this story? Jeff Bezos, the Amazon guy, took um, a 90-year-old William Shatner up into space. I thought, how cool was that? Uh, he played Captain Kirk in Star Trek, if you, do, if, if you don't know who William Shatner is. Amazing. Amazing that you could do that. But no human, no matter how rich or clever, no human can take another person into the new creation. Uh, we, we can do amazing things. We can transplant a heart. I just think that's incredible that you can take a heart from someone else and put it in. It's just phenomenal. Human wisdom is incredible. But no matter how skilled we are, no human can transform a heart. No one can do that. Only God can do that. So Paul could have come, he, he could have come in human wisdom, in strength and self-confidence. He could have come seeking to dismantle the intellectual debates of the, of the Corinthian debaters, kind of join in with all that. But what does he do instead? Verse 3, I came to you in, in weakness with great fear and trembling. Maybe something familiar to anyone who stands up here. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power, but on God's power. He comes in weakness and fear and he doesn't, he doesn't try and massage his message. It's, I think we've got to think carefully about this. It's not as if Paul doesn't think... It's not as if he's not thinking hard and carefully about how to communicate well. Uh, I think he does. you just got to read his letters. To know that his letters are masterfully crafted. Uh, they're in, incredible pieces of communication. If you read through Paul's sermons in Acts, you see the, the, the great way in which he, he sort of ad, adapts to whoever he's speaking to. Um, later in this letter, he's going to say he's going to go on to say he becomes all things to all people, so that he might win some for Christ. So it's, he's not saying that it's you, you shouldn't work hard at communicating thoughtfully in a way that's relevant and easy to understand. But what what Paul is rejecting here, what he did reject when he came to Corinth, was the kind of self-focused, elaborate way of speaking that tries to win the admiration of the crowd by being so sophisticated and so wise. It's a way of presenting himself that kind of flaunts his superior intellect and his status. It's possible to do that even when you speak about the gospel. There are ways, there are ways of speaking about the gospel that can undermine the gospel because the impression you're left with is how impressive the speaker is rather than how wonderful Jesus is. How wonderful Jesus is. And Paul, Paul is glad that he didn't try to win them over using these kind of Corinthian techniques. He's glad about it. He simply and plainly proclaimed 
the testimony about God. He simply and plainly proclaimed the good news about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And God, by his spirit, took that simple, foolish, weak message and turned it into his mighty power to save. So, friends, a foolish message means a foolish people and a foolish preacher, at least in the world's eyes. But what did we hear last week? Those who are being saved see this for what it really is, the wonderful wisdom and power of God. And all of this is just great news for weak and needy sinners. This is just such good news for nobodies. Maybe you feel like a bit of a nobody sometimes. Well, God chooses nobodies. God God chooses nobodies to be his, to be enriched in every way in Christ, to be set apart for him, held fast in his hand until the last day. If you haven't already, today would be just a great day to come to God. And not to come to him with your hands full of yourself, but with empty hands, ready to receive his wonderful gift to you in Christ. But what I want to finish by is just to reflect on what Paul urges this church to do. Paul calls the the church here to do something. And by his spirit, God is calling us to do the same today. It's in verse 26 there. So just skip back to the very start of this passage. What does Paul urge them to do? Think of what you were when you were called. Think of what you were. Consider it. Remember it. Reflect on it. As you go out today, keep thinking about it. As you gather in home groups this week, as you come week by week each Sunday here, prepare yourselves by remembering this, by consciously bringing it to mind. Think of what you were when you were called. Now, why does Paul say this here? Why does Paul say this here in his letter at this point? We've got to remember the big thing Paul's doing. He's talking about these divisions in the church. This church is being torn apart by factions and bitterness and rivalries. And Paul's saying here, if you're going to live together in true gospel unity, this is key. It's crucial. It's crucial not only to have the cross at the center, the message of the cross, but it's also crucial for you to be shaped by that cross in how you think about yourself and how you think about one another in this church family. What did you bring to the table when you became a Christian? What did you bring to the table? What did you present before God? Well, you did bring something. You brought your sin and your weakness and your need and it's the same for the person sitting next to you. Uh, in Corinth, it was the same for the Paul group, the Apollos group, the, the Cephas group, even the Christ group. It's the same for them too. It's the same for the person you really like and get on well with. 
and the person that you don't get so well, on so well with, the person who said that thoughtless or unkind thing the other week. It's the same for the person from the same culture as you and the person from a totally different culture. It's the same for the person that you see eye to eye with about everything and the person who sharply disagrees with you about politics or about COVID and how we should be responding. Now, those things are not unimportant. They're not unimportant and they're right to talk about. But when it comes to belonging to God's family, when it comes to the church of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, God's grace levels us all at the foot of the cross. God's grace humbles the proud. God humbles the proud. But he also lifts up the lowly. God humbles the proud, but he lifts up the lowly. Grace gives us all, all who are in Christ, an incredible dignity, a dignity that's not something that we have to work up within ourselves and present to the world, but a dignity that is a gift to us, that comes from outside us, that comes to us from God in his grace. The gospel declares to us that our unity together is in Christ and in him alone. He is our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. He is our life. He fills us up, friends. So we don't need to be puffed up by each other's praise or by our own insecure pride. He fills us up with his self-giving love poured out for us at the cross. And that message, that message that looks so foolish to so many, that is something to exalt in, to boast in, to rejoice in, to point to and to proclaim. It looks foolish and weak, this cross, but it is actually the deep wisdom and the mighty power of the living God. And we'll see that more of that next week in the next section. But let's pray together as we finish up. Let's pray. Please, our Heavenly Father, humble us before your throne of grace. We thank you, our God, for your grace to us, that it levels us all before, before you and at the foot of the cross. Oh, God, we, we pray. We pray for those of us who may struggle with pride. Please, by your goodness and kindness, do a great work in us this day of humbling our hearts before you and before one another. Lord, I pray for those who are lowly, uh, who maybe feel like they're a bit of a nobody. Lift, the, lift us up, please, in this wonderful grace, this identity that you have given us in Christ as a free gift, this security that is ours in his. Our God, we pray that you might teach us more and more how we can live together in a way that brings honour and glory to you and that shows the deep heart transformation that only your gospel brings. And may that be a real light to our community, a different way of living together, a way shaped by you and your cross. Please do that within us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.